from American Awakening, this is Signs of Life. Hello, 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 America. It is the American Awakening Squad. It's great to be with you here today. I've got my friends, as always, Joel, Marissa, Josh, Calvin, Jeff, Dan, going to come to us from Nashville, and a special guest in a little bit. And the topic of today's show is something which um, everybody should appreciate right now. Help is on the way. I like the sound of that. We've got now, as of today's unemployment figures, another 5 million plus uh, filed for unemployment today. We're at 22 million folks unemployed. That number is only going to get bigger. We know that in the short run. Uh, the death figures are only going to get larger for a while. The, the sickness figures are only going to get bigger. So it's going the wrong way, it seems, uh, for a bit. But what we ultimately know is uh, we're made for purpose and meaning. We're made to transcend this moment. We're made to overcome the adversity we're placed in. And help is on the way. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. To get us going, we're going to kick it over to the house worship band leader, Josh Jacob, with something special and worship for us. Thanks, friend. But the king of my heart leads them down to where I run. The fountain I dream from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide. The ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. You are good, you're good, oh, you are good, you're good, oh, you are good, you're good, oh, you are good. The king of my heart Be the wind inside my sails The anchor in the waves Oh, he is my song Let the king of my heart Be the fire inside my veins The echo of my days Oh, he is my song Let the king Oh, you're 
Remind you guys all the time we're on the line together as a team praying for you every day. But one of the things that's great about the whole thing is we get together for a devotional prayer call amongst the team and, and uh, leaders around the country, and we pray for you. But just being together and encouraging each other, saying good word. Uh, these are hard days, and and we say to each other back and forth all the time. The American Awakening team, man, we'd do this if you didn't show up, uh, because we're having so much fun doing it. Of course, it's way better that you do show up. Tell your friends, <laughs> podcast out there on all platforms. would love for you to be there. With that, I'm going to hand it over to uh, Pastor Joel Searby in Gainesville, Florida. Joel, so today I woke up and it was snow outside in Vermont and, and 30 degrees. That just doesn't seem right. I mean, I don't want to complain. I don't want to complain, but 30 degrees in snow, April 16th, I don't know. Wow. Yeah, well, it's not snowing here in Florida. Uh, it is cooler today, which I'm actually thankful for because I'm not ready for the hot weather. But uh, but yeah, man, uh, it's it's crazy. Everything's crazy out there. I know that we're here to bring you a little daily dose of hope and light and life. That's my job is to encourage you. And today. So yesterday, if you were with us, we talked about putting our, our faith into action and like super concrete ways to live out hope during this time. Today, I want to go kind of to the other end of the spectrum and go a little bit mystical on you. I want to go a little bit into our souls and our minds and our hearts. And I want to talk about streams of life and streams of death. And so I want you to imagine with me during our time here together that your life is like a river, like an ever flowing river. And into that river, there are flowing all kinds of little streams and tributaries. And some of those streams we know are full of toxic water. They are polluted. They are nasty. You wouldn't drink them. You don't want to smell them. And those streams do flow into our river. And these are the things that we know to be true that are painful and ugly. Sometimes they're things that are done to us. Sometimes they're things that we've done. Sometimes they're things that are out of our control, like feelings right now, like unemployment and worry about your health and anxiety. And those toxic little streams are real, friends. I realize they're real. But sometimes we forget that there is a flowing river of our life. And when we are in God, when we are in Jesus, we have access to the river of life. I want to remind us of two verses real quickly. One in Revelation 22, verse 1, it says, Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and from the Lamb. This river of flowing water is coming directly from God into our lives. And here's what Jesus said about it. From the inside will flow rivers of living water when we know him, when we believe in him, when we follow him. And so there is a river available to us that is crystal clear, refreshing, drinkable, full of life. And I just want to challenge us this morning, as you go into that place in your mind and your heart, 
Do not allow yourself to focus on those toxic streams. You know, we could try to dam them all up and throw a bunch of rocks and mud in there. But let me tell you, that is a futile exercise. The best way to deal with the toxic streams feeding into the river of our life is to allow the river of life, the water of life, Jesus, to rush through us and to flood it all out in the ways that only he can. So I hope that encourages you today. That's your daily dose. John, back to you. All right, quick hitter response and question to you, Joel. When you say let the right stuff flow in, what are you thinking about? Well, for me, it's it's really pretty simple stuff. It's spending time in worship. You know, just even listening to Josh's song, that gave me life. That didn't bring me death. Reading the promises of God, the scriptures uh, have are just full of promises that God gives us. It's spending time with people who encourage me and allowing them to speak encouragement into my life. It's spending time in quiet prayer and reflection and just saying, God, I actually need you. I need this river of your life to flow through me. So those are just some practical things that I do. Which you're glad that I didn't sing because then that would have brought death. That would have brought death. Over to you, Jeff. Um, okay, I'm actually gonna toss back to you guys for a second with a question. So let me read a couple stats and I want you guys to guess what film studio this is, okay? And you can just shout out answers. So one film studio, there's only one film studio that has 15 collective Academy Awards. So they've won 15 total Academy Awards. Every single movie they've ever made that is, has averaged together over $600 million at the box office, each movie. So every movie they release averages $600 million at the box office, which you know that's like an absurd number. Um, and they've had a string of 14 number one movies at the box office. So that means 14 in a row that they've released have reached number one. Anyone want to take a guess at what movie studio that is? Disney. Nope. <sighs> Marvel? Nope. You guys are close, though. I was actually impressed that you guys actually got in the right wheelhouse. Like Pixar? So Pixar. Pixar. There we go. There we got go. It. Pixar. Pixar is not independent still, is it, though? No, but this is when the, uh, most of these oh, staff okay, were when right, they right. were. So they're technically right. under Disney. Technically but, under you know, Disney. Their okay, percentages so. get less when, you know, when, they're, when, they're, John, when they're in Disney. John, you know whenever Jeff goes, we just have to go along. Well, yeah, exactly. Play go along, along. along with Here's Jeff. what I'll say, though. Here's what I'll say, though. With, the, with these stats, you go, ask, you go ask Pixar if they have their own little identity compared. You go ask employees, they probably would say, hey, we're Pixar, we're not Disney. We respect that. Fair enough. Fair enough. All that to say, though, they basically have one of the most prolific, not just film creation studios, but literally out of any creative capacity, any creative studio that's ever lived, whether it's art, music, film, etc., they basically almost make every single thing a home run, which is pretty absurd and pretty hard to do. You know, you have a movie studio has one movie that comes out that grosses $600 million. Everyone says that's a raging success and that's a home run. They do it almost every single time. They've only flopped like one or two movies. If you've seen Cars 2, you know what I mean. Anyways, the interesting thing though about Pixar when you research them is they have a lot of things that actually are embedded ritualistically into their culture that I think are very much responsible for why they have such a success rate over and beyond anyone else. And the one thing I want to talk about for just one minute and hopefully bring an encouragement through is this concept of the brain trust. So if you've read any books on Pixar, I love, I've read multiple books on Pixar, the Steve Jobs, you know, connections, just Ed Catmull's book, some other ones, uh, but they're fascinating. And they have this concept called the brain trust, which is basically in the pipeline of every single movie, there will be multiple times, they usually do it once a quarter in like the main chunk of when they're making the movie, where it's called a brain trust. And what it usually is, is it's, it's kind of like a round table boardroom type thing, but of not the executives of all the other directors of all the other films. And what it is, is it's basically this room where they just get to start tearing apart kind of the first draft, the second draft, the third draft of the film. And it's a brother and sister kind of in the trench mentality. That's why I said there's no executives. It's just like, oh, I'm a director. I'm going to bring my movie to the other directors. And there's three there's three really big uh, rules they have. Let me, let me see if I can find these. I, I wrote these down from, from earlier. So they have three ground rules, and that's it for the brain trust. And it's absolute candor, absolute trust, 
and absolute empathy. And then they have one rule that is inherent to the foundation of the brain trust, which is we all agree that if you're bringing your movie to the brain trust, your movie sucks. Meaning like that it's inherently believed that you only do this, that every movie starts bad. Every movie starts not as a home run. Every movie starts not good. And I think starting with that mentality of, man, I am coming into this admitting this is not good. It needs help. And then I'm also going to operate on these three principles, absolute candor, absolute trust, absolute empathy. I think that's literally the recipe that makes those movies successful because when you have that as the bedrock, that is the soil to allow things to grow. And so I just want to encourage you today, what would that look like for your life? What would it look like for you to have a brain trust? Whether it's peers, whether it's friends, whether it's family, you know the people that you can trust. But I do think we sh- we are created to wholeheartedly pursue that, to pursue our own growth at all costs. And especially if you're a follower of Jesus, there's nothing to be afraid of because it's like our identity is in his performance, not ours. So we can just be as free and as honest as possible because we're just trying to accelerate our growth becoming into his image. So what would it look like to reach out to a few people, maybe for a couple months at a time, a year at a time, and just say, hey, what would it look like if we Skype once a month, if we get together once a month, obviously once we're out of quarantine, and we have this brain trust where I lean into my weaknesses, I lean into my vulnerabilities, you speak into those with absolute trust, candor, and empathy, and then we can grow together. And I think that's my encouragement for you today, because when you do that, you actually can reach levels that no one else is reaching, because a lot of us don't live like that. So that's my encouragement for today. That's a great one, Jeff. And you're absolutely right. Uh, The anchoring bit of this is, are you working off the assumption that everything's okay? Or you're working off the assumption that everything's not exactly okay, and you need a lot of help. Uh, And I always work off the assumption that the latter Um, everything's not necessarily entirely okay, and I need a lot of help. Uh, Can you just say the three again for us, Jeff? Yeah, so absolute candor, absolute trust, absolute empathy. So you have to have a place where someone can be absolutely honest, um, but then you also have to have a place where there's absolute trust. You know, and you believe that they're speaking for your best, and then empathy, that they actually relate to you. And that's why I like the the Pixar Brain Trust, because it's all directors. So there's a really strong level of empathy, because they all kind of understand, they're speaking as brothers and sisters, right, where they understand the process. um, And so they can be empathetic towards each other. That's a great example. Uh, I've read some about the Pixar world, I don't know it nearly as well as you do. But what's really remarkable about the anecdote uh, that you're telling, and the story about Pixar is, those egos have got to be colossal, right? I mean, they're all wildly (laughs) successful right? And tremendously impressive individuals. And they have to then uh, subjugate that and and lean in 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 vulnerability. That's remarkable. So what an encouraging word. One one last little nugget I'll give too. I think it was actually an Ed Catmull quote where he basically says, my job as the president and then also to kind of shepherd the brain trust is to make the movie go from suck to not suck. So that's his goal at Pixar. I make the movie go from suck to not suck. And I'm like, man, I actually think that I love that, you know, and that should be us with our lives. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, pivoting over to uh, the team in Boston and our regular feature. Wow. So that's happening. A little bit of update of what's happening in the world in this strange, strange time. And then uh, over to our discussion topic. Hope is on the way. Calvin. For our first headline, we have... Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin expects 80 million Americans to get their emergency federal payments uh, this week. The first payments will go to those who have already filed their 2018 or 2019 tax returns and authorize the IRS to make a direct deposit if they are due a refund. Within that group, um, the agency will be starting with people with the lowest incomes. I love that. Social Security recipients uh, will also automatically receive their payments even if they haven't filed a return. Taxpayers who haven't uh, authorized a direct deposit could be waiting for weeks for a check in the mail. So fear not, you can go online and update your bank information uh, using the Treasury's new web portal, which went live Wednesday. The IRS created an online tool called Get My Payment, 
and that can be used to check on the status of your money um, and launch Wednesday and is available at irs.gov. Another news we have most U.S. airlines have agreed to accept aid from the federal government to cover their payrolls and preserve jobs with flying at nearly a standstill amid the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Ten passenger airlines have told the Treasury Department that they'll take funds from a $25 billion salary support program funded in the $2.2 trillion stimulus package uh, passed last month by Congress. And it includes six major carriers, American, Delta, United, Southwest, JetBlue, and Alaska, as well as a few smaller ones like Hawaiian, Frontier, Allegiant, and SkyWest. Each airline appears to have been granted aid equal to roughly 76% of their payroll for two quarters, um, less than expected, and indicating that the carriers asked for more than the total of the $25 billion available, requiring that the awards be scaled down. So again, a, a couple stories of what's going on out there. And um, now I'm going to pitch it over to our sister, Marissa, for the discussion question of the day. Thank you, Calvin. Thank you. On this note of help is on the way. We just heard about help in our finances. Yay. Thank you, Lord. Help in industry. Thank you, Lord. They need that too. Now we're going to talk about help in what might seem to be an unlikely place for people, help at home. So I know a lot of us are at home with family and work and Prior to Corona, and probably even now, a lot of people have felt like they wanted to keep their work lives and their personal lives very, very separate. Um, And unfortunately for a lot of people, they're probably in closer proximity right now than they've ever been. And so what I'm wondering is, again, in the same spirit of trying to get help, help because we all need help wherever we're at, can help be on the way to us um, in our different endeavors, in the, in the work, in, uh, in growth, right at home? What are some positive experiences that you guys on the team have had uh, when you've allowed your worlds to come together, your personal and your work worlds? When they've come together, what have been your experiences? And can choosing to bring your worlds together actually help further your plans or your projects or just the state of your relationships? What has your experience been? Jeff, I'd love to actually hear from you about this first because I know about one of your projects, you what, and Alyssa. Share more. Which one Which one are you leading me to? I'm, I'm leading to, well, actually, tell tell me about what I don't know, but I definitely know about the family <laughs> projects with you and Alyssa. So I'd love to hear about yeah. that and how you guys have yeah. teamed up and Totally. So yeah, we have a whole, that's basically my main full-time job is an initiative called Family Teams, where we try to encourage families to become family teams and kind of opt out of the Western individualized experiment, we say. But yes, yeah, so we've tried to been wrestle, we, and we think, but it's also an experiment the other way of trying to wrestle with how do you kind of, in, we use this word a lot, integration. I think before the Industrial Revolution, before kind of the assembly line, we were we were a very highly integrated culture, you know, meaning like you're, you know, the economy was in the home. Um, you know, you were a father or a, a, a mom and a businesswoman, a businessman, like in the home, it was all integrated, all kind of touched. Now we do this separation thing. Now, just like the metaphor of the assembly line, you separate things when you want to reach a certain scale of efficiency. And so that's what I always just am thinking about. If Am I only doing separation here so that I can then try to extract more value or kind of, you know, commodify myself or other relationships? Um, and so I don't have any really big answers, except I just ask a lot of big questions on, on this topic that I'd love to hear you guys answer. But I think one thing like for me personally that I think was a really helpful paradigm shift is, okay, when I go to work, which, you know, is at home sometimes, um, sometimes it's speaking, sometimes it's traveling, sometimes it's, you know, boardrooms, whatever. For me, I don't leave my fatherness or my husbandness at home. 
if that makes sense. In fact, I actually think I can be a better person in those positions if I bring my father hat and my husband hat with me, meaning I get a part of, those are core parts of my identity. And, and so I would just say, wherever you're at, I think it's actually helpful to let the core parts of your identity, the really highly relational ones that don't involve your work, infect your work. And I think there's something about that, that when you try to stop doing that division, for me, it's been really, really helpful. I'd love to uh, I'd love to hear from Pastor Joel now, too, because I know you and your wife have a venture that you've launched together. What, like, what has that been like? Has it been like, ah, or have you guys grown together? <laughs> oh, well, there's been a lot of, ah, and there's also been uh, a good amount of uh, growing together. So we, uh, we own a little retail shop in the downtown of our little town. We sell vintage home goods and uh, cool old things. And, you know, that's like a mildly profitable hobby for us that is currently completely closed um, rather than a, in a profession. But it's been a real joy to do it together and to wrestle through the tough stuff actually has been super profitable for us in our relationship to just not when you segregate everything out, you may come home uh, as as a spouse or a friend or a brother, sister, and you're bringing like some heavy stuff, but you really don't want to deal with it with other people. When you're dealing with it together, it really binds you because you just have no place, you know, you're not going to escape it, but you just deal with it. Um, so that's been really great and and journeying on that. And the other thing I would add is just uh, with my kids, uh, kind of continuing on Jess theme, my kids are nine and 12 and they've asked me many times, so what is it that you do? Um, and, and I've tried <laughs> to explain to them, but it's just a great conversation to talk about how we take the things that we have, the experiences we have, the gifts and talents we have and put them out into the world. So uh, that's been a great thing is to, to be able to talk to my kids more about what I'm trying to do in the world. That's very that's cool. Good. All right, Jeff and Joel, you guys do this well. I'm going <laughs> to speak to the other side of this for those those out there that may not find it easy to do that well. Uh, a wonderful, wonderful relationship with uh, my wife. Uh, but one of the things that I've actually learned is that, that um, you know, our work rhythms are just different, which is just to say that that uh, my, you know, my style of doing something, you know, achieving an objective and getting it done is different than hers. And uh, so for us, actually, uh, you know, we found it to be useful to, to figure out that it's not exactly always great to try to forge the work styles together and say, all right, so let's just, let's keep it separate because we're, we're more effective when we're, we're mastering our different areas and um, allowing each other to, to be, you know, bosses of certain domains. Um, so anyway, I, I, that's not a perfect answer by any stretch, but but that's certain, certainly where we are over time. Um, no, I, I love that. It, I think you have to decide, like, if it's a, there's sometimes where divide and conquer is the best strategy. And there's sometimes when like an integration is the best strategy. So I think you just have to be sensitive to what that is. One, one little nugget you just remind me of, John, that I'll give you is probably the best marriage advice I've ever gotten, but it totally uh, revolutionized even how me and Alyssa partner in business and partner in our projects is a mentor of mine said, you know, hey, Jeff, Alyssa is the smoke alarm of your family. Um, and we were, we were we had this conversation because I was basically not listening to the smoke alarm, you know, meaning like I, whenever she would get highly sensitive or say, we shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do that. I would kind of just have the attitude of like, what, do, what are you talking about? Just like, like just I, I go really fast if you can't tell. So I'm like, no, just let's go. Like, let's do this. Let's do this right now. Um, and she would kind of put objections up and I would just get so upset. I would couldn't process it, et cetera. And he was just saying like, you know, she's the smoke alarm of your family, meaning like a smoke alarm is going to beep you know, if you're downstairs in the bedroom and it's up, it'll be before you even know there's a fire in the house. So like, you should pay attention. Basically, like, don't yell at the smoke alarm, actually listen to it because it's actually <laughs> telling you something very, very specific that it's skilled to do that you're not skilled to do. And not every husband wife relationship is like that. But I know with um, me and Alyssa, she's more sensitive than I am, more intuitive than I am. And so I like now, but what that did is then it allowed a, the differences, like you were saying, John, to actually integrate together as a team of like, oh, 
I'm not just like resisting that now. I'm actually accept- accepting that difference, if that makes sense. You know, one of the things, that, you know, contrary to my last observation about uh, being different and everything, the one thing I have learned over time is that unless you're synced up in principle uh, and, and the, the home life versus the work life, then then don't move forward because that is a recipe for disaster. And that's hard. It's hard. I mean, it's hard. But but slowing down and getting on each other's rhythms to say we should be moving forward, even if you're doing that and I'm doing this. That is a hundred percent. I could not agree with you more. Um, you know, uh, your mentor more on that, Jeff, in my own experience. That's really good. I know we've been talking a lot of of marriage stories, which is which is fantastic. I'm just going to chime in about one that I know about because I used to be very, very, very uh, sort of protective and territorial of of my work. I, you know, I'm a Type A person. I, I I like to get things done, and I can I can do it my way, and it's it's great. Um, but one time I. Well, okay. So you all know I love I love film, um, and I grew up in a family that you know we we recite lines to each other all the time. That's probably one of our best ways of, of communicating. But I wanted to write this this script, uh, this like western about um, like the the start of the Pony Express. And I have a brother. Shout out to you, KWP. We we both sort of inhale film, and um, I was getting really stuck on some parts. And I'd never written anything with him, and he'd never written a script before. But um, I don't know. We we just kept talking about it. And even though I didn't want to let somebody in, it felt like he was like there at the right time with the right amount of energy and same spirit. And it was fantastic sort of allowing somebody who I knew, like to your point, John, had this sort of shared rhythm and shared sort of understanding. And the crux of the thing was about this sort of like brotherhood, sisterhood of folks who were doing this thing together. And we were able to really infuse our really close family brother-sister bond into the thing. And so, well, I I thought it was probably going to ruin the thing. And, you know, he wouldn't know what he was talking about. It, It was actually a really fantastic experience. And so as somebody who used to say, like, let not the two worlds meet, I you know, in certain seasons at certain times, it, it can be a really fantastic thing. All right. Well, because like I, I feel like I'm slightly in between. I'm not married yet, but I am engaged. And we've been praying for what Joel and um, Jeff have of this kind of joint partnership in, in being able to to work together and, and kind of blur the lines between uh, what's going on at home and at work. But I do agree with John, like, my reality right now is that Sonny, my fiance, she she has a different job. Right. And so what what's going on in her workplace, it, it seems like she's in a different kind of place of mission, whereas I'm I'm doing this. I'm with you guys every day. And so I feel like one of the principles that could be really key um, as far as being aligned that, that John mentioned would be prayer. Like at, at the very least, can you find common ground in what you guys are praying for? Um, Because then because then you're on a a common mission, right? You're praying for the people you're working with. You're praying for each other's families. You're praying for each other's ministry in that workplace. And so as far as something practical, a principle that you can be joined on is that, hey, we may not be in the same work rhythms. We might not even have the same type of job or be in the same workspace. But nonetheless, we can join in prayer and praying for what the Lord is doing through you in that place. Can't argue with that, Calvin. That's strong stuff. Marissa, who do you want us to uh, to wind up with the movie line of the day with today? You know, I think I've covered it the last couple of days. I think I'm kicking it over to my boy, Jeff. I was stoked on today's. I don't know if you guys read all the way down, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> movie line of the day from Black Panther, man. I don't know. Was that not the best movie of all time? That movie was just so good. I, I just feel like not only, I mean, there's so much there of how powerful it was, how incredible it was, how it was kind of the first of its kind. 
But then also like that to do a movie that size, kind of like, you know, a big box office movie, but yet still kind of play with traditional storylines of how you empathized with, you know, Killmonger and stuff. It was just brilliant story. So with that, let's do a movie line of the day. Now more than ever, the illusions of the vision threaten our very existence. We all know the truth. More connects us than separates us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges, while the foolish build barriers. We must find a way to look after one another as if we were one single tribe. Come on. So Chadwick also, Boseman, that accent's incredible. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got our friends in Nashville waiting, and I would love to kick it over to Dan Hazeltine. Dan, it is great to have you with us, and look forward to introducing your friend, Jason Gray. More yes. than you, Dan. Thanks. Well, it's good. To, it was good to hear all that you guys had to say today. Um, I'm just going to say I agree. It's a great <laughs> day here in Nashville. The weather is good, and so hopefully people will you know, get out and go for a walk, uh, spend some time in nature here. It's one of the things that we can do just to, to combat some of the anxiety we've got around uh, around COVID, around just transitions and all that sort of thing. So today I, I have the great privilege of um, of introducing uh, someone who's, who's actually been a collaborator with me as you guys are talking about the idea of inviting someone into your own workspace. Jason has actually has been gracious to invite me into his uh, a few different times as a songwriter, and we've been able to hopefully draw out the best in each of us as songwriters. Um, Jason has uh, been a collaborator with some some great folks that I admire very much. Uh, even someone we've had on the show already it was Sarah Groves. And then also there's a guy named uh, Joel Hansen. If you all re- remember, you got to go back a little ways, but there was a band called PFR and just a, a really incredible rock and roll band that just amazing hearts, amazing guys, amazing live shows. Joel was part of that, and I know that Jason has uh, been able to collaborate with him, which, you know, I'm a little jealous. It's been a long time since I've been around those guys, and, uh, uh, you know, that's a big deal. But uh, Jason's got, I, if I'm correct, and Jason, you can uh, you can correct me on this, but I think six studio albums. Uh, is that correct? Didn't know there was going to be a quiz. You know, I think it's, I think it's more than that, only because uh, a few weeks ago I counted them up, and I, and, and I was... At first, I was proud of how many projects I had recorded, but then it also made me feel old. Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> we all feel a little old today. But that's all right. I I think it's great. It it means uh, one of the other things I was just going to say briefly was that as a songwriter, one of the things I've admired about about Jason here is he's he's a critical thinker. He's a reader, an observer. Uh, a friend of mine gave me a, a definition of a good songwriter years ago, which was um, a good songwriter is somebody who looks at the world and describes it, not only as it is, but also how it could be. I feel like Jason's writing is is incredibly human. He's a truth teller in, in the work that he does, what he puts his hand to. And uh, and so it really is just a great privilege to have you on the show with us, Jason. Thanks for coming on. I hope all those things are true about me. Thank you for saying that, which is actually why uh, I've always wanted to collaborate with you, just because I, I, I think you are uh, a very committed truth teller and, and, and uh, see um, you just have uh, a way of, of getting to the heart of the issue and 
the underlying motivations. And, and, and so I, I, I love that about your work and it's helped me throughout the years. Um, and I should also explain that I, I, I have a, a, a speech handicap known as stuttering. So I just want people to be aware of that so they don't think, oh, this guy's freaking out. Cause, <laughs> but I think of great songwriters who I love and uh, the difference between their work and mine. Um, I think the thing that drives me the most is like very early on, I discovered Frederick Beekner's books and, and, and read all of Beekner's books. And I thought, how do I, how do I do my part in, in disseminating his way of thinking and the ideas and all that kind of stuff. And, and so I thought if I, if I could somehow write some of his ideas into three and a half minute pop songs that might be heard on, 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 on Christian radio, that might be a meaningful way of, of, of spreading those ideas that could be helpful to others the way it was helpful to me. So sometimes that's at odds with the songwriter part of me because uh, great songwriting isn't always what is valued at Christian radio or maybe... Um, relatability is valued over that mm-hmm. kind of songwriting that you might do that would um, serve the song, but not serve the listener. Absolutely. And so, uh, so with my songs, I'm always trying to serve both of those things. Hopefully I'm doing it well. Well, I think you're doing it well. You've got a guitar there and we would love to hear you play a song for us. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. Yeah, and, and uh, thank you for asking me to be here. I'm 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 just so um, inspired by the conversation that is happening here. I'm like, oh man, has this been going on all along, and I wasn't aware of this. So, so can't wait to tune into future installments. Um, Brilliant. This is a new song that uh, I just wrote uh, last week with our friend Andy Cullohorn. Yeah. You should have him on, man. He, He's going to be on he, next he, week. Oh, that's awesome. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is something he and I wrote. And um, as I was thinking about the theme that we're talking about, taking care of each other, this is kind of a song about learning how how to have one part of me take care of another part of me. So I guess the the community of, of sub-personalities that make up who I am specifically that part of who we are that we send out to the front lines of our lives that we would call the good soldier who um, is the version of ourselves that we present to the world that we hope the world will love and approve of, you know, and by trying to say all the right things and do all the right things and uh, be enough and be, worthy of love and uh so if you could imagine that part of us and that maybe that part of us is getting kind of tired Mm. and uh maybe needs uh the part of us that deep down knows that the essential reality of who we are is that we are we are beloved that that part needs to 
step up and give the good soldier some rest. So there's a song about that. I need the words because it's brand new, but here we go. well out there on the front lines of the daily hell you never asked for you never chose you just put your armor over your civilian clothes like a good soldier you're a good soldier you're a strong fighter in a civil war. The struggle for the love that you're longing for. You feel unworthy and duty bound to sacrifice yourself just to hold your ground like a strong fighter. You're a strong fighter, but you're so Bye. 
time for you to rest. Yeah, Jason. That was yeah. powerful. That was amazing. Beautiful. So great. I'm reminded uh, of uh, Walker Percy quote, you know, his his big line of bad books lie and they lie most of all about the human condition and that how like we tend to become disinterested in the people uh, and the stories around us when people aren't responding to the the experiences they're having in a very human way. You know, we it's why we put down books. It's why we put down movies because at, at the core, we feel like someone's lying to us when they're describing somebody's human life in a way that doesn't feel like anything we can connect with. Um, and that song to me does very well that act of going, oh, you know what? I, I absolutely relate to that. I can, I can fully find myself in those words. So thanks for singing that one. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Would you play one more? I do. I want, I want to play one uh, that we wrote with each other. I think this is our our first time we collaborated. And I often tell people that if I could only be known for one song, it would be this one. And uh, I probably love it so much because uh, all the best lines came from, from you. So, <laughs> and I'm a big fan. So uh, um, I think all of my songs in some way are, are, are saying this idea so this kind of sums it all up and it was uh inspired by uh that line from Rumi who said uh the wound is where the light enters you so uh all right i was halfway up the mountain when the rock sail gave way I came tumbling like an avalanche to the bottom where I lay. And with the taste of blood and twist of bone, my healing could begin. Cause the wound is where the light, the wound is where the light, the wound is where the light gets in. I stood there like a hostage with a knife held to my vein. Captive to the poison that I took to numb the pain Cause everybody wishes they were born with thicker skin But the wound is where the light The wound is where the light The wound is where the light gets in It's tricky how the heart works Breakups and the big jerks make us never want to hurt that way again. Maybe I'm naive, but in every scar I see, the place where love is trying to break in. Cause the wound is where the light gets in. Recognize a saint by the scars they don't disguise. You can pick out a real sinner by the kindness in their eyes. So if you're stumbling in the dark and bleeding at the shin, just remember the wound is where the light, the wound is where the light, the wound is where the light gets in. 
That's powerful. You guys wrote that together? That's good. Um, it's fun to hear you sing it. They talk about songwriting like it's uh, the first time you do it. Like it's it's a series of first dates uh, when you're co-writing with somebody. Because writing is a very, um, it's a very kind of intimate thing. And, and, you know, and, and even like as you described in the song before where you were talking about, like we want to present the very best of ourselves to people. But if you're going to write a great song, you have to confess. I learned that from you about the importance and the necessity of confession and all that. And, and, and uh, Sarah Groves, I remember her description of, of collaborating and, 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 and why it was so um, challenging at first was uh, she described it as uh, walking into a room with a complete stranger and taking off all your clothes <laughs> yes we didn't do that when we wrote that song uh, well jason thanks for playing some music for us thanks for being on the show um such a real gift to have you on with us today so thank you so much jason you spoke a wonderful word into that for us today we really really appreciate it uh, your your words were as touching as your music and i'm so grateful for that for everybody who's out there, remember, you can check us out on Pod with our relevant partners. Uh, more to come on all of that soon. But uh, check us out, please, and leave a review. And until tomorrow, keep fighting the good fight, friends, and God bless you all. We're with you in this tough time. Signs of Life is produced by American Awakening, a campaign for the soul of America committed to slaying the giant of death and despair in this American moment. Signs of Life is made up of Jefferson Bethke, Dan Hazeltine, Josh Jacob, John Kingston, Joel Searby, Calvin Lee, Christian Palacios, Marina Pappas, Andy Peterson, and me, Marissa Prince. The show is produced from our headquarters in Lexington, Massachusetts, and you can learn a whole lot more about the movement by visiting our website, AmericanAwakening.us. Relevant Podcast Network.